feed yourself first. Take a second to quietly listen and feel the beat in your chest. Listen as your chest rises with every inhalation and falls with every breath. Place your fingers right on the chest line on the left side. Feel your heart beat. That is the hardest working muscle in the human body. Only about the size of your fist every day as time ticks away your heart beats 60 to 100 times per minute. With each minute pumps 5 quarts of oxygen rich blood through more than 60,000 miles of blood vessels. Pumping out nearly 2,000 gallons of blood every day of your life. Its work capacity is simply outstanding. Day after day it gives life to all other organs. If it just stopped working for 10 minutes, there would be irreversible brain damage and you may very well be pronounced dead. Unless there is an emergency with your heart, there is no rest and no breaks. Unwavering and tireless, it simply continues to beat on. How does it do this? How does the heart, from 6 weeks after conception to nearly 100 years of life, keep going? It does this because the heart feeds itself first. The big deep breath you take gives life to your blood whereby blood moves from the lungs to the left atrium and ventricle of your heart. There, with a powerful squeeze, your heart contracts and the left ventricle pushes the blood out into the aorta to the rest of the body. It feeds itself first with that oxygen-rich blood. Immediately beyond the valve that lets this blood into the aorta, there lies the two openings of the coronary arteries, which get first dibs on that rich blood. This is how the heart continues to pump tirelessly. Blockage to either of those vessels means a heart attack. Feeding yourself first is not only important for your heart, but for your life. Not feeding yourself is one of the reasons why you are tired, burnt out, unmotivated, undisciplined, and simply over it. It is why you have the thank God it's Friday attitude, quickly followed by the Sunday night blues. It is the reason why you do the same thing day in and day out and why time seems to be moving slowly while your experiences all resemble each other. Until finally you realize weeks, months, or even years have flown by. Most people are simply stretching themselves too thin mentally and emotionally, and they are afraid from giving themselves entirely to others. Unfortunately, people think they're given out of altruism and free will, but instead, without hesitant commitment or misguided plans, that end up leaving them ruminated and regretful. Noble as given may be, it will be heartbreaking to realize you have lived for others and not for yourself. The courage, compassion, and strength you gain from volunteering, giving, and helping make you feel alive as you live for yourself in service to others. However, we see it time and time again in many disciplines. Those who give tirelessly only to eventually burn out and drown under the weight of all of the stress. Why? Because they forget the prime mover of it all. They forget about the heart and they forget about themselves. Without you, there's no giving, there's no volunteering, and there's no helping. The buck starts and stops with you. So to help endlessly, feed yourself first. Feed your soul with rich experiences that mean something to you. Experiences that give you hope confidence, rejuvenation, and excitement in the daily riches of life. Be ruthless about this time and eliminating distractions. These experiences can be anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour every day. Expressions of gratitude in the morning, exercise during the day, yoga at noon, meditation midday, guitar playing at dusk, yoga in the evening, or reading at night. 
this means something different to each person. What is important is that you allocate this time every day for yourself and remain ruthless about it. And no matter how relaxing you may think mindlessly sitting and drinking eight cans of beer or a bottle of wine might be, the scary reality is that it is not. This is the path toward isolated misery and a midlife heart attack. On the other path, even hanging out with your close friends over coffee every Thursday night may be the same experience, but where you go and what conversations you have create the sort of experiences that are memorable and that are discernible from one week to another. A lifetime is measured in experiences, not seconds. Those experiences are dependent on your state of mind and attitude, which are dictated by your daily habits and how you have treated yourself leading up to that experience. Your life is like the blood vessels of your heart. You've got a constant flow going and this flow is the energy you give to others. However, if you don't take the time to feed and exercise your heart, give it rest and nourishment, and clear out the blockage when it's needed, then a heart attack is nothing more than a moment away. It will be unexpected, devastating, and possibly fatal. At the end of the day, even as your loved ones are nearby, it is you that feels that heart attack, battles that depression, anxiety, or insomnia. It is you that is broken down, and only you that suffers the neglect you give your mind and body. Feed yourself first, so you can feed others. We were first exposed to studio culture in architecture school. It was a place of messy work, late nights, deep conversations, and not so deep conversations. After so much time in this environment, we quickly recognized the benefits of working in a studio culture. Studio is a place where you can focus on creating your own work, but are afforded the benefit of working alongside your peers who are looking to accomplish a similar goal, to make something really cool. Studio Verb is a place where this collaboration can happen digitally. It's a place that encourages you to make something. Be active, do, create. Man, I love that. You read it really well. Your voice is really good for it, too. It almost feels like it's a story about a, a person. It's not necessarily like it's not about a person, but it's almost like it's this narrative fiction almost. But it's like using a scientific metaphor to tell a story, but it's not even a story. I don't know. It, it's like this weird middle ground, I feel like. Or at least that's how I was. Imagine what it would be like in an animated, uh, like the, an animated backdrop to it. Yeah, cool. Cool. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of writing the next one, the tumor one, in that sort of more of a story piece rather than um, an article piece that I just did. Yeah. But, it, yeah. but, I, but I think even this one had a story element to it because you, pers you personify True. the heart. Absolutely. And, and so it, there's a connection. Even though it's this scientific, medical, disgusting organ... <laughs> like, <laughs> like, there's a personification to it, and I think that also goes towards, you know, larger conversation about the heart being personified in general throughout the arts. But it's something, it's something you can relate to, mm -hmm. you can picture in your head, and you can understand it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I agree. 
And and yeah. I think I would think uh, don't be don't try to get too cute with it either. Yeah. Like because <laughs> I think what Katie's saying is I think it it's already it's already really cool. It already has that like story element to it. You don't don't mm-hmm. I don't think you should try to dress it up any more than you already did. Yeah. You don't need a magical magic school bus it. No, not at all. Sweet. Well, it would be really cool, like Katie's saying, to animate it because it's like, it's not really a story, but I feel like if you gave it to someone who was into animation and be like, hey, can you animate this and don't even tell them what to do, like, just see what the fuck they come up with. Like, oh, that's a really cool idea. Yeah. I want to get into the piece and we want to talk about that a little bit more, but Avi, tell me what's going on in your life. Like, what's up? What's new? Yeah, we're moving right now. So, I don't know how much I, I guess I talked about this, but uh, currently living in D.C. Um, and then moving to Lansing, Michigan um, to go to Michigan State University's medical school here at the College of Human Medicine. Do you have a specialty? I never asked you this. Right now? Yeah, or, some, an, or an area that you're interested in. The in the future. So the type of doctor I want to become, or at least at this moment would be uh, orthopedic surgeon. So, yeah, so currently I'm interested in that. Go ahead, Katie. No, no, no. I was going to say, so like, right, so there's different types of, each specialty has different impacts on your life and on, on all that, but do you notice or do you see a certain type of person drawn to different specialties? Like, maybe it's a stereotype, but do, do you see that? There are. Uh, I, there really are, and I think this changes throughout medical school, so I don't want to um, generalize. This is what you get for being in the sciences. You probably have a bunch of people on the podcast if they end up listening. <laughs> We're writing, and they're like, "That's so wrong." <laughs> there are certain personalities that are more in line with what type of specialty you choose. If you're a bit more person that who doesn't want to be face to face with patients, um, you're a bit more, say, reserved and uh, recluse. Then you most likely end up in like anesthesiology and like radiology right so they they don't spend as much time with uh with uh patients mm-hmm. they're more reading lab they're uh doing uh obviously the anesthesiology portion of it or they're reading um all of the pathology radi- uh, uh labs that come in whereas someone that's really good at like someone that's got more of an athlete mindset or even more of a uh i want to work with my hands mindset uh someone who's just active may be more inclined towards surgery throughout because you're constantly on the move. You're constantly using your hands. And then someone who likes to uh, conversate and develop a relationship and talk with their uh, patients and so on is going to be more likely inclined toward internal medicine and like family, family medicine, Mm. psychiatry and so on. So personalities actually do play a factor in what type of residency you end up choosing. Cool. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. So that's been my life at the moment is moving. We're in the process of moving to East Lansing, uh, whereas Michigan State has 50,000 students. So it's a huge school um, in terms of undergrad-wise. But it'll be an interesting transition to go come back to the Midwest after having been gone for a couple of years now. And come back to academia, right? Yeah, and come back to academia in terms of being a student. Yeah, because I suppose you were in academia before at 2U, but you were you were advising. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, 
are you do you find yourself figuring out time to continue to write when you're in the throes of medical school or continuing to train i trying to bring yeah. it back to kind of what we're like this intersectional thing that we find here interesting so writing is definitely something i'm interested in continuing on and really meshing this science and philosophy into it because in part with pursuing medicine i'm also interested in bioethics so i want to be able to write and have a conversation around a lot of ethical dilemmas that are coming what? or at least that are here already that we are just not thinking about or maybe are thinking about it on a surface level so i want to be able to continue to write and develop that portion of it. what drives your want to do that that's a good question i think i'm just my fascination with it comes down to i guess one of the things that keeps me up at night which is how do we live better lives so that in turn drives a lot of my thought processes really related to philosophy and existentialism and really ethics. How are you actually a good person? Um, what are your ethical principles, morality, things that do with everything, which everything under the umbrella of medicine deals with as well. So do you just like to ponder these questions for yourself or do you want to contribute some sort of knowledge to the world or I like even deeper, like thinking beyond that, what, what, what drives the want to even ask these questions or is it just a general curiosity? It's a really general curiosity for me and it's something I do want to contribute to down the road, but a lot of it is really sorting it out for yourself, right? Reading a lot of the philosophers and then having the science to couple that to have an understanding of the world. So those things, a lot of questions pop in my head and I try to seek it, seek those answers so that later I might be able to talk a little bit more clearly about some of these topics for the same people that are out there that are maybe thinking these thoughts or having these questions in their head. So right now, the writing portion, I try to do that on the side as much as I can, uh, in addition to doing all the other things that I'm trying to do, which is training, uh, which is my anchor, and then also uh, training clients as well. <laughs> and advising at the moment which is so a few a few things that are on my plate doing all the yeah. things yeah that's dope so clearly abdi you've got like a lot of medical background and medical experience um in your history and, and in your current life currently right now how did that experience tie into this piece and how did you draw that connection between the heart and feeding yourself first as a life lesson I talk a lot about like being fascinated by the human body and mind. So I tend to ask a lot of questions in my head as to just how it all functions. I think we are just incredible cre creatures, essentially, or human beings in terms of how our organ systems work, how we're just a miracle, in all honesty, in terms of going from conception to the adulthood person that you are. So when I was thinking of this piece, I was actually working with the heart in the donor lab. Um, and I was, as I was looking at the heart, the thought of it came to me as like, wow, like right now my heart is beating in my chest and I have no idea 
that it's doing this and I'm holding this human heart in my hand. Right now it's not beating at all, but in my chest it's beating 60 to 100 times per minute every day of my life. And it's been beating since I was conceived at like six <laughs> weeks, right? Yeah, Post crazy. six weeks. Um, and it really sunk in like its work capacity. And this is like just on average. This isn't even when I'm working out where then it goes above 100 beats per minute. Just every day life, our heart is beating 60 to 100 beats per minute. And this happens for like almost 80 to 100 years. So that thought generated the next thought of just how does it do this? Like, how does it actually like continue this process? And it does this when you look at the architecture of the heart is that the freshest blood, the most oxygenated blood that comes from the lungs and goes into the heart and goes before it even goes into the rest of the body to feed all other organ systems, it has to feed itself first. So right after those valves open up and the gates can be opened so that everything can get this new oxygenated blood, it puts two uh, uh, arteries there that it comes right, circles right back around and feeds the, uh, the pump, the heart. And that I think was just like, fascinating to me and that gave me the thought of like this is what it means to truly give there's no other organ in the body that gives as much as the heart does in, in the way that it does yeah. you know and when it actually doesn't give when the heart stops everything else stops like there is no other nothing else works and this is the way in our life we're always trying to give others something else because we see the value we see the value in volunteering we see the value in um, serving others we see the value in giving to others and we want to give as much as we can but unfortunately in the process of it i realized that we give so much that people just forget about themselves and that leads to the rates of burnouts that we have that leads to um, really the high depression rates, everything that goes on with it because people have not taken the time for themselves to feed themselves so that they can continually give it up. It almost seems like selfish to say, well, I'm going to take care of myself, right? So there's this like weird paradox that I think a lot of people just battle in, that, in their head that they don't want to seem selfish and they always want to make sure that they're given. So there's that, paradox of like okay like how i don't have the time to take care of myself is usually what you hear and have to do all these things but the mm -hmm. sad reality is that just like the heart if you're not taking care of yourself you will stop taking care of others yeah it's a i think it's a cultural self-guilt thing that mm -hmm. none of us want to admit that mm -hmm. well i gotta put myself first there's just, mm -hmm. there's this cultural guilt that I think gets applied to people. They, they think that they're selfish. Like you said, they think, or society makes them think that they are being selfish and that that's not a good thing when you really do have to take care of yourself. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There's a word in, there's in Mandarin. I'm trying to find this right now. I've probably said this before, but in Mandarin, there's a, there's two words, two different words for selfish. And one means doing something that's beneficial for you. 
and the other means doing something that's greedy, hoarding, and taking from others. So like in Mandarin, by separating those two words out, they're like able to, they're able to separate those two like, you know, uh, concepts. Yeah, those two concepts, and one is selfless and one is selfish, and you can still be selfish and be selfless at the same time. Yeah, I, love um, I like that. that. Yeah, but so, Abi, then how did you? So I, I get you. You made you made the connection, but like, what was going on in your head in your life? What were you seeing around you that made you be like, people aren't feeding themselves? Like, is that were you feeling like I'm not feeding myself, or what were you? That's I mean, like, like there's still you're. It's like you're taking. You're looking at science. You're in a. You're in the mm -hmm. lab. You're looking at a heart, and then you're over here looking yeah. at life and then like all of a sudden you're like holy crap these can be married like this can be a metaphor yeah uh, and i think that actually so that derived from other people asking me um questions or when you're talking about just things that you do so the one thing that i get or at least people quickly realize is that i work out right um so that for me training is an anchor it's it's my feeding myself first so I realized that like training is the one thing that when I'm doing it, it's all for myself and I love it because it grounds me. It allows me to do so much more during my day. Um, so the question I, I get from my classmates or from other people, uh, especially when I was in this lab is, well, how do you find the time? Or um, what do you do to always go work out? Like how do you schedule your time? Or um, So I get these questions and then I ask people like, well, I mean, do you work out? Do you exercise? What do you like to do for fun? Or what really uh, feeds you, what fills you? And most people will give like, well, I really like working out, but I just don't have the time. I've been really busy with like school and I've been busy with work. Um, and I've been like volunteering. Um, and then other people will be like, I really like playing the piano, but I haven't had as much time for that. So there are people like all these things or they enjoy and they realize that there are these things that are able to feed them um, or at least intuitively know there are things that they really enjoy but they don't do it and there, there isn't one single thing that's grounded them so that connection came from me for theirs like but there's a lot of people out there including that are around you that really want to do something that anchors them every day that fills them but feel like they don't have the time right they feel like they are committed and obligated, whether it's out of um, a real commitment or even an imagined commitment, which sometimes we do to ourselves, uh, they're not able to do the things that they would really love to do. That would honestly further them in their life and help them continue to give out even more of themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really relatable point, Abdi. And I think everybody at some point in their time probably mostly during a, a period of time when they're in school, right? Or in some sort of intense um, atmosphere, forget about those hobbies or lose sight of those hobbies and lose sight of those things that um, make them happy outside of whatever this primary focus of life is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something I certainly re related to back in, back in college. When we got to that fifth year, that graduate year, and people started asking me, so what do you do for fun? Or what are your hobbies? I had zero answer for them. I'm like, wait, what? This the Hobbies? That's not a thing. Like, my life is studio. My life is school. And 
I had to figure out what those other things were after I graduated because I had all this free time now. And Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. very strange for, for me to realize that I no longer had hobbies or the hobbies that I used to have had disappeared from my life because I hadn't taken the time to like to feed myself with them right to to pursue them to make time for them in my life totally I like I like this I like this metaphor too about feeding yourself because I think it I don't know for me it takes a little bit away like the whole thing of it's like mysticism and artists and maybe I just get caught up in it but uh like when people ask you what to do, what do you like to do for fun? And my answer is always like, I, de- I never give like that straight up of an answer because I'm always like embarrassed about it or whatever. It's like I like to make stuff and create music or do what we're doing now, you know, like, but it's just the whole feeding yourself thing. I like that metaphor so much because it gives it such a concrete. It's like such a concrete metaphor for me, at least. And uh, and, it, and it's also it gives you like a new language to also just be like, but no, this is like you do need this, like you need this to be happy. Yeah. And so, so don't, don't diminish it, you know, and just be like, just do it and keep on doing it. Cause mm-hmm. it's, that's what you need to do to be happy. Yeah. And, and, then, I, and I, I think, Oh, go ahead. Abby. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, I think sometimes it's hard for us to share some of those hobbies or those interests, those things that we do to feed ourselves because they're personal. You're not doing them for somebody else. You're doing for sure. them for you. It's like, I write for myself. That's what feeds me. Or you, you know, you make things for yourself, and it's not something that needs to be uh, validated by somebody else. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, I t- completely agree on that one. And for like you said, Isaac, too, with it being so concrete with the heart, I think it's really the reason why I was the science and the writing and the art connected well for me is when I was like really thinking about it it really is like you said the the best example of something that if it's not feeding itself it can't do everything else it needs to do which is send blood to every other organ the pancreas the liver the kidneys the spleen the brain the 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 governing body of the entire system like into any of the limbs it can't do any of that Mm -hmm. if it doesn't do this one thing that keeps it going day after day yeah like you have to help yourself in order to like if you help yourself feed yourself you're going to be able to help others even more than you would without feeding yourself yeah so that's why i think i don't know it just like really clicked for me or at least in my brain it really clicked of this concept of self-care and really investing in yourself. And I, and the other piece too of it being an anchor, like you said, Katie, writing for you, Isaac's creating music for me, it's like, it's training. Um, having it be anchored, something that we're not, it's not showboating, it's not something that you just do have hazard. It's something that's consistent for you that develops you in a certain way that other things don't, right? People can get busy and they think, oh, I have other hobbies like going out with friends or watching Netflix, um, sitting on my couch, Drinking eight beers. it is. And you, <laughs> yeah, and you tend to, and, and you actually have the time to do these things. But the strange part is that the thing that really feeds you, you don't end up doing even when you have the mm-hmm. time. But yet you, there's this 
convincing of that happens of like, I don't have the time. It's, it's a really strange, um, uh, it's just a strange like pattern yeah. that occurs. And that's why I think I really harp or at least really highlighted in the piece of it being, yeah, there are these other things that happen, but there needs to be something that really grounds you, that anchors you, that even regardless of when your world is tumbling up and down and the waves aren't so good, there's that thing that you can go back to, you know, that you can rely yeah, on. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like paradoxical almost. It's like the thing that we need as that's like therapeutic, but it's also like, it's not just, it's like, I mean, sitting on the couch and eating, like drinking beers, there's not like, there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. It's mm -hmm. like, it's not like it, but what that does is it also just allows you to kind of mentally check out. And so the things that, I, I mean, maybe the, is, so is, I guess the question, I guess, what is it about the things that feed us, like making music, writing, training, that all is a process. And it takes like, it takes like a mental capacity too. It's not just like, it's not as easy as sitting down in front of the computer or in front of the TV and just watching. Um, so it's interesting how it's like, it's a thing that feeds us, but it's like, is it the process of doing that thing that feeds us? Like that, like to slow down and like readjust and view your world a little bit differently for a time being. And is that what it is? Or like, what, what is the thing? I don't know. I'm... I mean, speaking to like our things, right. Or, or maybe in general, can we draw a parallel to ritual Yeah. and to, you know, even taking it that step of like meditation or anything of that nature, it's all part of the ritual of what you're doing. Uh, some of those, you know, things that you would think, uh, think of automatically as self-care or slowing down, things like yoga, meditation, or any of that. Those are all things that have a process and have a ritual to them. So I think that is part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree on that. And I think that the, what you're saying with it being the process and uh, really having your mind engaged in honing in your skills is like a piece of it, right? A way of developing I think there's a part in feeding yourself, there's a level of development that occurs in writing. You're obviously getting better as a writer. You're learning new things with it. Um, in training, it's the same thing. With creating music, it's the same thing. And I even think about this um, with my wife's uh, great uncle. Uh, the man is 90 years old. He is hands down the best carpenter I have ever seen or <laughs> at this moment like i have not seen a better carpenter at all and i will need to like have people compare them but he's 90 or close to 90 i believe and it's interesting because carpenting was his life it was his work it was his job but he's got like four sh uh like complete like shops on his like farm where he does all of this carpentry work and the interesting piece is for me is I was like thinking about him and examining him and when we were having a chat, not only did he do that for work, but he actually did that outside of work for stuff for his home. Not because like he had to do it. It was, it became therapeutic for mm -hmm. him. It became a process for him, a way of development. And when you go into his house and see the cabinetry and like, the detail and the level of just like the the lines around the curve like there's just no mistake yeah, at hard. all and you're just like you're just fascinated it's art he's he was literally doing art 
and he was and also using it to feed him his, his family and do so much more in the community but it was just like this is something he's just crafted for years and years and he's at the peak of his perfection yeah, right. uh you know he was he, he's in his 90s or close to 90s and he's at the peak of his perfection and when you go into it you see that detail and it just like it got me so excited um, to just see that level of craft and that detail of that attention to just really like something that he, and he was so excited to talk about it too. Right. That's the other piece is like, come look at this, <laughs> like, come look at here, That's awesome. come look at the lines across the, the walls here. And it's just that I get, think again, highlights to me of like, yeah, he was feeding himself throughout this whole time. And that's why he's still in love with it post like 60, 70 years. He's been doing this. Oh man. That's fantastic. Yeah, you just you you love it, like, and he was able to find a way to turn make a his hobby into a job and his continue and continue that being his hobby too, which is fantastic. I I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of times when the hobby does become the job, it can lose the joy of the hobby. Right, you get clouded by being the job, the thing, and you lose the joy. So for him to be able to maintain that joy throughout the years, I think is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Actually. T- yeah, totally. Totally. It's what it's like, I mean, I, I think, is it just the, it'd be interesting to talk to him about that and find out like, how did he do that? Do you, do you like just, you try to stay not so busy so you can just take your time with the ritual like you would any other way, you know? And you don't have to like rush through things and it turns into like a commodity instead of it being like this ritual that really helps you. It feels like it feels like it'd take a lot to protect that if if mm-hmm. and it seems like it seems like that happens a lot with artists and like you're talking, Katie, and writers, too. Like when it becomes a job, it's just like, ugh. but you have to just like probably protect the ritual as much as you can because uh, that's the thing that you love about it or whatever you love about it, I guess, figure out what to, how to protect it. Correct. Now, one of the things I love about your work, Abdi, than the pieces of yours that I've read and just been talking with you is how you marry and bring together the scientific and the artistic. And I think you do that really well here by the heart metaphor and, and all of that. And I think it just speaks to kind of the heart is a really interesting organ and it's, Self, uh, both scientifically, but also there's so many metaphors and ways that the heart is personified in the arts, right? That it's interpreted mm-hmm. so many different ways. Uh, and I like how you've done that, uh, how you've applied that here. Mm-hmm. I agree. And you weave right. in and out of it so well. You weave in and out of the metaphor. Like you go from talking about daily life and how you back to like scientific talk with the heart and then back through the metaphor into daily life and then back like it's it's just also a testament to how well you know the science of it or you know how you're able to talk about it in different terms <laughs> thanks <laughs> what i think why your piece works so well is like you have the knowledge to back it up and it's clear that you have the knowledge to back it up and i think like when you draw these weird metaphors, sometimes it can be like not connect or hit so well because there's not enough information and there's not enough knowledge behind the topic. So it's like, 
it's like, oh, that's a cool idea, but then it falls flat because the research isn't there or like the knowledge isn't there. But like when you have that research and you have that knowledge, it's like, like Katie was saying, you can draw so many metaphors and you can draw like so many connections. It's like you're one, you maybe start with the idea of like the heart is like feeding yourself. And then all of a sudden you're just like, I mean, what it, there was a few, there was some language in there that were, that even like strengthened your metaphor. I forget, forget what it was. Um, and just like, it was so subtle, but it was like that you were talking about like the heartbeat in a different context or something. And it was just like, holy crap, that, that strengthens a metaphor even more there. But it's just like the more, the more depth you have in your information and your knowledge of it, the more powerful the, the actual like work yeah. can be. That, that's a, the, there was actually another, I think you might've caught this, uh, Katie, I'm sure you have as well. There was another subtle part that I completely took out, uh, in terms of like, uh, the subtle part is in there, but there was another whole, I think several paragraphs, like two or three paragraphs that I took out that relates to, um, about the heart attack. Right. So, uh, which is this line, which is, and clear out the blockage when it's needed. Um, otherwise, then a heart attack is nothing more than a moment away. And what I meant to say that is you see it in burnout, right? People really push, 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 push. And then all of a sudden, it's like all hell broke loose. The lids, everything is off and they're completely burnt out. And like depression sets in or anger, frustration, all of it just comes crashing down all at once. Um, and uh, that for me was the same thing as if the blockage is not cleared out along the way, if you're not reflecting and self-monitoring along the way, that plaque in the heart will continue to build up. That plaque in your life will continue to build up to it until the point it reaches the most devastating portion, which is a heart attack, which is where, where you have hit your points and then you're just fed up with it. And it goes one of two ways. And it's similar with the heart. It gets to a point where the blockage and the plaque and the coronary arteries are so bad that heart attack happens. After that, you've got a mere chance of whether you're coming out alive or you're dying wherever you are. Um, and I see that being the same case in people, whether the depression gets bad enough or the insomnia gets bad enough or, um, whatever it is, that stress gets so bad enough that the options, your mind becomes so narrow in that you you don't really see many options, right? Before being early on where you could have cleared out a lot of this clutter, a lot of uh, the plaque along the way. Mm -hmm. right. it's a it's a a lot of it is a, a thing too like you guys said it's making sure that when you talk about it science portion of it of talking about blood flow and so on that the those that are the experts in medicine clearly understand it right there's a language barrier between laymen and those who are not and those that are in experts in any field whether you're talking art, science, music, so on. So there's always that language and how much information that are you actually going to bring in here that will be useful enough 
but doesn't take away from the piece. Well, and I think it's almost. Well. I almost think it's like. I almost think it's just the simplicity of how you how you explain the process. Like, you use language, but I don't feel like you're talking. I don't feel like you're talking over my head either. You seem to break it down pretty easily, or it seems to break down pretty simply uh, in a way that layman can understand it. Uh, but I, I also don't feel like you're stripping of his meaning. Yeah. Thanks for letting me share. And you piece. thought you had nothing to talk about, Abdi. Yeah, right? <laughs> I know that did. Cool. All right, people. All right, people. Cool. Have a good night, you guys. Bye-bye. All right, you too. Bye, brother. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Studio Podcast with Studio Verb. Uh, if you want to connect with us outside of the podcast, you can find us at www.studioverb.com. That'll have links to all of our uh, studios. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our Twitter is at Studio Verb. Uh, we show a lot of our own content uh, there, but also some other creative people that we follow. Uh, so check that out. Uh, Instagram is at studio underscore verb. Uh, we post a new collection every month. And if you have thoughts or want to collaborate with us, reach out to us via email, studioverbinfo at gmail.com.